Welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. Hey everyone, welcome back to Coffee and Conservation. Thank you for tuning back in. I'm Beth Baker and I'm joined by my co-pilot, Matthew Harrison, today, as well as Dr. Sean Tanger, who's an extension professor here with the Mississippi State University Extension Service. And we are diving back into carbon markets. In part two of this carbon market series, we're getting into the current conditions of forest carbon markets in the Mid-South and maybe some other opportunities in the agricultural sectors. So stay tuned, enjoy. So let's switch gears to some of these current uh, carbon markets and how they work. Um, it, so the first question I've got for you is, do forest landowners kind of need a written management plan to qualify for markets? Um, and, 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 you know, what are the, like, the basic components they would need to get involved in a, in a carbon market right now? Yeah, the only, the only program I've been able to find is uh, the Family Forest Carbon Program, which is available in Pennsylvania, I think Virginia, and maybe, maybe one other state. The ones that we have, to my knowledge, you do not have to have a written management plan. So I mentioned green trees, uh, forest uh, carbon works, and NCX. Uh, to my knowledge, you do not have to have a management plan for those, but at least with Forest Carbon Works, it's a much longer program. They do recommend that when you're writing your management plan, either you by yourself or with the help of uh, a consultant, or if you can, you know, if they if they are able to, I know they used to, um, there's a difficulty because their numbers have been cut so much. Um, you know, the Forestry Commission can help write one as well. But there doesn't have to be a, a management plan, you know, uh, ex ante. Uh, so to speak, in order to get in, into those programs. But they they kind of like you to have one so that you, as a landowner, kind of know, right, that you've, you've kind of incorporated carbon sequestration and storage into your overall objectives. Um, but no, I mean, the straight answer is most of the programs do not require one for participation. Um, go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, so you mentioned three of the programs that, that you know of that exist in Mississippi. Can you say again what those are? And do you have a, an estimate of like how many of our landowners may already be participating in those? Yeah, I don't, I don't have good numbers on, I could, I could probably reach out to NCX. They've gotten a little more reserved in providing information recently. Um, the most recent survey estimate through the National Woodland Owner Survey it's not going to help us much because the most recent year is 2018, but it does it does uh, track uh, carbon adoption or carbon awareness. Uh, and for Mississippi, like most places, as of 2018, right there there wasn't much awareness, and there certainly wasn't much adoption other than your you know your very big players. So a lot of these programs that I'll I'll you know we'll talk at a little bit in detail. These are more targeted to small landowners. There have been voluntary programs before now, but they targeted some, you know, you would have to have 2,000 or 2,500 acres of trees. Again, remember I mentioned, we're now at this cross section where cost has, has been dealt with a little bit a little bit better. Whereas before it was much more costly to do inventories to make sure that the actions that you said you were gonna take on your land, you actually were so that you were complying 
uh, for verification purposes, you know, with with the carbon uh, carbon uh, company uh, like an NCX or somebody else, and agree and you know, stick into those terms. Uh, it's just become much cheaper to do that now with satellites and and different uh, you know different algorithms and things they're using that are that the verification systems are allowing them to use to to verify that the carbon is actually being sequestered. But um, so not you know it's kind of a a wiggle wiggle out uh, on the numbers, but uh, you know anecdotally, I, w- I had to speak at uh, 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 Farm Bureau uh, their winter meeting not too long ago. This is like in January, and you know when I asked for a show of hands, you know how many of you are from you know know about these programs? About half the hands went up, but when I asked, you know how many of you are enrolled, it was probably you know two or three people out of about fifty. Uh, again, that doesn't represent all of Mississippi forest land ownership, but adoption is is picked up, particularly for NCX. But you know, I would still it easily is still in the single digit percentages as far as the number of forest landowners that are enrolled in one of these programs. Probably at the lower end of that, you know, one to one to three percent would be what my guess would be. Do you know if there are um, any acreage limits for some of the programs targeting smaller landholders that now exist? Yeah, um, you know, green trees and forest carbon works. So the two of the three that are that are currently available here, um, they do have acreage limits, but they're not giant acreage limits. You know, it's typically, you know, we want 40 acres. Uh, NCX, there would be no, uh, you know, no, no limitation if you have one acre. That's Technically enough, um, although I don't think I don't think that would work for you know mechanical reasons we don't necessarily have to get into, um, and it, it really varies by program. But most of them now, most of the new ones uh, do allow for small land ownership, and that target is typically typically between twenty and forty, probably more on the forty end. Um, so your ten acre you know landowners probably aren't going to be able to participate in most cases. Um, but yeah, so somewhat limitations, but you know, there most, most of our landowners could qualify for at least one of these programs, if not, if not all three of them. So if, if I was a landowner wanting to participate, um, in the, in a carbon market, I would have to agree to a certain or certain several management decisions, correct? That would then change the amount of carbon based on my um, management decision that is in my acreage of a forested area. Is that correct? And can you can you detail what some of those management decisions might be? Sure. Yeah, there's three kind of major categories for forestry carbon offset projects. And one category would be afforestation or reforestation, kind of as a Either it was uh, wasn't forested and now you're foresting, or it wasn't forest but they've been cut down and you're going to reforest. So, uh, you know that project, green trees would fit that category. Okay, so they're going to come in and they have pretty pretty wild kind of planting strategy where you intermix hardwoods with um, what was it? Um, uh, uh, not sweet gum, cottonwood, and uh, you know. But that's kind of they're very, very specific. The other category that I haven't seen a program like this available yet, I'm sure there is one, is avoided conversion. 
So it's in trees and we want to keep it from, you know, going to, uh, you know, an apartment complex or back into farming or something like that. Uh, that again, for mechanical reasons, that one, even though that's a category, I think that one's going to have be hard sledding to get uh, verification for, um, because of, because of uh, basically, you know, uh, what was business as usual? How do we know you were going to uh, convert that property, right? That's kind of, that's one of the problems we'll talk about here in a minute as far as these, these markets generally. But the, most of the ones people are familiar with are the improved forest management uh, techniques. So like with NCX, it would just be postponing, right? The, the timber harvest for, for a year, right? And so you're sequestering carbon on a particular forest stand for an additional year. But if it was a pro, and that's kind of a backward looking program, but if it was a forward looking one, so we're starting at, you know, age 10 or 20 or 30 or, or even at zero and looking forward, we're going to have reductions. Most, most of the time, it's going to be uh, reductions in basal area cut uh, or, you know, basically the amount of the amount of wood I can take out of the thinning or at a, at a final harvest or if I can do a final harvest at all. So forest carbon works, for instance. You you really wouldn't you you really would never be able to do a, a complete final harvest, at least for the term of the project, which is around 125 years. Um, but with something like NCX, right, you wait a year and then you could you could harvest just like you were going to um, prior. Uh, some of the other ones would be, you know, management activities like I mentioned that family forest program earlier, uh, control control of um, invasive species that allows the kind of the native vegetation, the na native management to, um, you know, to get more of the resources and therefore grow more quickly and sequester carbon more quickly. That's kind of a general, you know, general overview. Um, and some of them, uh, I don't think NCX doesn't have this, green trees, I'm not sure on forest carbon works. Some of them do have restrictions on using, uh, you know, herbicides and or um, you know, fertilizers and things like that, which also would add, potentially add to uh, that, that carbon component on that, um, or the emissions on that, that particular property. Okay, so let's say I decide to make, it, commit to making one of those management changes, whether it's the afforestation or reforestation, the avoiding conversion, or the improved forest management, right? Then as part of the program to, to really quantify the value. There is, and we were talking about this before the webinar started, there is this measurement quantification and verification of the, of the product, if you will, um, throughout the process that one of these companies will be doing. And I think some of, a fair bit of the tools are maybe standard practice for forest assessments, but can you talk through what's under the hood there if someone commits and how that measurement will be done for their property? Yeah, a lot of times, well, all the time that from what I've seen, right, you have to, as part of the contract terms, you have to commit to oversight from, you know, one of these three companies or one of the others if, 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 if and when those get down to Mississippi or if you're in another state. Um, and that could involve uh, somebody coming out on the property, a lot like what some of our state or federal agencies will do if you're involved in, in some of their programs, right? They want to they ensure fidelity. So it could involve involve site visits. Uh, frequency kind of depends. Uh, usually once a year, uh, just to make sure you're not harvesting when you said you weren't going to harvest and so forth. Uh, NCX is a little different. 
um, you can have a consultant that can also come out there if, if you want to. It's kind of your, your choice, but they're doing all of their uh, oversight through satellite imagery and uh, uh, computer modeling um, using FIA data plots, using some of their own uh, inventory data that's down at a smaller spatial scale. Uh, pretty complex process that they don't want to provide a lot of information on. But in short, they're looking at your property. Uh, they're looking at others, kind of averages in the region. And they're trying to establish baselines based off of those averages. And they're also looking at how close you are to a particular mill, right? They need to figure out how in danger is the stand of being harvested. Because if you're not going to harvest, then we're not going to pay you because you're not providing any additional carbon sequestration over and above what you would have done already, right? So there's this term additionality. You'd be providing no additionality under that, that setup. So what we do is, or what they do, is we figure out what's your risk of harvest, and then they're going to issue their credits based on that. And then after the year's time, when they go to pay you, they're going to do another inventory to see if that forest has changed, you know, as evidenced from a cut, for instance. And if it hasn't, if it looks, you know, it's within reason uh, from what it was the year before, uh, adding in natural growth, et cetera, et cetera, then you'll be paid for that, that product. So they all they all do have some form of verification and, and checking, but it could go everywhere from pure satellite and and uh, uh, statistical tools down to we're going to conduct yearly visits to the property. If you'll notice, though, most of the ones that require really intensive uh, inventorying, so there's a lot of interaction at the stand level personally. Those are typically going to be the programs that require larger acreages. The ones that are more catered to the small landowner typically don't have as much of that. And that's because of the cost setup, right? We need to be able to uh, aggregate a bunch of properties together, uh, or we need one big property for it to be worthwhile for us to come out and visit, right? And still be able to pay all of our fees. You, as the landowner, still be able to receive your compensation and to meet all the verification requirements from one of the three major uh, uh, forest carbon uh, uh, verification groups like VERA or American Carbon Registry and so forth. Um, and so, yeah, so it, it, it varies all across the board, just like the programs vary in terms of what the terms, timelines and conditions are for those programs. It's still, it runs the, the game, so to speak. So we did have a question pop in in the chat that when you're discussing some of these market opportunities here in Mississippi, are these basically the same opportunities throughout the Southeast? You know, could you, could you probably generalize to that area? Yes, as far as the small ones. Now, the, the larger ones, the larger programs, I'm not, I'm not as aware just because you can't get information from a lot of these companies. Um, but as far as the small ones, yes, NCX is available everywhere. Forest Carbon Works is available throughout the Southeast. Uh, and uh, uh, Green Trees is available in Mississippi. They, they right now are focused on the Mississippi Alluvial Valley. Uh, so you would need to be in that watershed. But longer term, it looks like they have plans for a longleaf, you know, kind of longleaf restoration program, which, of course, would be, you know, the whole habitat area of the Southeast would, would fall under that. 
So to my knowledge, yes. Uh, the only kind of the only program that I'm aware of that's out there that, you know, is, is only in a, in a subcategory uh, of states would be that uh, family forest uh, program. And then there's some other programs like Blue Source. Um, gosh, there's another name I can't remember. And that's not available in the Southeast. I don't think it's ever going to be the way that program is set up. I don't think they I don't think they like pine forest for what they're trying to accomplish. And so you, you may not ever see like one of those programs. That's one one of my skepticisms about Forest Carbon Works is it's 125 years. You you're in the program for 25 years and then there's a 100 year monitoring period afterwards where basically you, the, the trees just store the carbon for 100 years. I'm not sure where that 100 years comes from. But that's you see that very typical in uh, some of the cap and trade, like over in California, they want a hundred year, you know, commitment. Um, that's to ensure. I don't know if it does ensure, but that's to ensure the permanence of the carbon capture. So permanence is kind of another issue. If you're going to sequester and store carbon, if you're just going to end up cutting it a couple of years later, then what good was the program, right? It just re ends up releasing the carbon, uh, the CO2 back into the atmosphere or, or the, the carbon back in the atmosphere and forming CO2. Um, and so that's where NCX is running into a little bit of a, a pushback. They do what's called a ton year accounting. So you can get issued a carbon credit um, and a carbon credit is equivalent to uh, one, one ton of, of CO2, which is, which is typically, I think it's like 3.666 units of carbon to create that one unit of CO2. I may be reversing that. But um, the point being is um, they're, they're, they're trying to ensure that that, that carbon is going to be maintained. So NCX's way around that is, well, we can't maintain it because we only have the one year. But we're going to, instead of, you know, a ton, the typical ton to CO2 conversion, right, the carbon to CO2 conversion that most of these companies are using, we're going to give you like 27 tons, right, of, of, of timber. And so we're going to basically basically compound a whole lot of, of, uh, of biomass into one unit because it's a shorter period of time, whereas the other ones would not have that that convention. It's it's sort of it's getting a lot of pushback from some of the environmental types, but the verification companies are seem open minded right now. Uh, NCX seems pretty confident that they're going to get you know full verification status. I, I just don't know. I don't know enough about it. I don't know what those discussions look like. But um, yeah, that's a little bit of the more of the more of the details than maybe people want to know. But yeah, thank you. No, that's very helpful. I want to save some time for Daryl to give his landowner perspective. Um, and you can see in this picture, I think it's fair to say that many of our landowners, you know, some of them own exclusively forested land that that they could be enrolling in these carbon markets. But it's more common that we have landowners that uh, have kind of diverse landscapes. Some of them might be mixed forestry and agriculture row crop or other recreational areas for landowners that we work with. Um, and as these conversations from from car from a carbon mar market perspective evolve from these already existing forest carbon markets to interest in soil carbon markets, we can use some of that framework to draw out where the uncertainties will be and, and what we also could know about those emerging markets. So 
you know, in, in an agricultural landscape, you could assume that a landowner enrolling in a crop in a, in a project would also need to make a management change uh, that otherwise wouldn't have been done in business as usual. And that management change would have to result in a measurable amount of soil carbon storage. And that's where it gets a little bit trickier because quantifying um, soil carbon is a little bit more difficult than forested carbon. And especially in an agricultural system where you might actually increase some emissions of carbon you're bringing into the system while you're also storing some in soil carbon forms. And those would maybe be not just carbon emissions, but the carbon equivalents in all of the greenhouse gases that Dr. Tanger, Tanger formally mentioned, because we're working in a landscape where we're also applying nitrogen, which could be lost in nitrous oxide, depending on what, what is happening in the management system and the environmental conditions. Um, as well as methane. And so the measurement in an agricultural landscape is gonna get more complex um, and being able to quantify and verify the amount of carbon stored in, in soil carbon is also gonna be more complex. But there's entities out there that are trying to do that. Um, I would say the USDA's recent Climate Smart RFP signifies that we don't have a consensus on exactly how we're going to do that in a way that uh, you know, provides the most accuracy at a large scale and as as Dr. Tanger also alluded to, um, is accessible to our small landholders as well as our large landholders. So those are the big uncertainties, you know, that we're encountering right now. Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at reach.msstate.edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at extension.msstate.edu. Dot edu.